Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, my name is Pastor Sam, and I have the privilege of serving here as the assistant pastor uh, at Arise Church. And a couple weeks ago, my wife got us some passes to the Maritime Museum up in Manitowoc. As, has anyone else been there before? Just Okay, there's actually quite a few of you. Okay, really cool place, Maritime Museum, all about uh, boating and on Lake Michigan and stuff. But the really cool piece, the main attraction, why people like to go there is a World War II era submarine. And you can walk on it, you can crawl through it. It's pretty neat, it's pretty cool. Uh, apparently Manitowoc made 10 uh, uh, submarines during World War II, and they won awards for its quality. Uh, but the submarine that is there is made in Connecticut, so I don't really understand the quality if none of them made it back to Manitowoc. I'm not sure how that works out. But pretty cool stuff. Uh, highly recommend checking it out. But today, uh, we're talking about submarines, because submarines uh, were uh, they're in warfare. Uh, they're nicknamed the silent service, or sometimes the silent killers, because they uh, hide under the water, come up on the enemy, uh, spray some torpedoes, and dive back down and disappear silently. S very effective, very powerful in warfare. And so today we're talking about the silent killers in this teaching series that come to kill, steal, and destroy Christmas, that come to kill, steal, and destroy the peace, the love, the message, the hope we have in Christmas. And Pastor Joel started us off last week talking about the stuff that stole Christmas. And underneath stuff, really in our hearts, is greed. There's nothing wrong with stuff. There's nothing wrong with cards, houses, money. But it's when that stuff has us. It's when greed comes out that it comes to kill, steal, and destroy Christmas. This morning, we're talking about the submarine called busyness, hurry, uh, go, 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 speed, whatever you want to call it, uh, that is what we are looking, that's what we are hunting for this morning, to go find that silent killer, that submarine that's coming to steal Christmas. Um, so before we jump into God's word, quick raise of hands, if you would be a little vulnerable with me this morning, how many of you guys just sense that you, there is a uh, posture of busyness, of hurry, of just stuff going on in the world around us. Okay, that's a lot of hands. How many of us sense it impacts our own lives? Would you say, hey, I probably have a lot going on. So if you look around, I don't think we walked into a church with the busiest, most hurry people in all of Sheboygan. I don't think, you know, we all happen to go to the same church. Uh, I don't think that's an accident. <laughs> I think there's probably some more going on, and we need to pay attention to it. And then in preparation for this morning, uh, it does not take long to find the books, the podcasts, the articles, the research out there that's talking about the speed of, and pace of life, which this, our current modern society and culture and world is built on, what it's doing to human beings. It's really interesting to pay attention to. Uh, a study done in uh, 2015 uh, found that humans have had their attention span dropping and is now hit around eight seconds, which means you have eight seconds before another thought comes into your mind and collides with the one you just had. That is crazy. So you got 
uh, up to 15 seconds. They said back in around 2000, and it keeps dropping. For some perspective on that eight-second number, goldfish have an attention span of nine seconds. <laughs> so if that isn't like, uh-oh, we're in trouble, we're losing the goldfish, Man, I don't know what we'll say. Hello, we need to pay attention. There's something going on uh, that's not good. Because I don't know about you, but I don't like, well, one, I don't like losing. But I don't like losing the goldfish over not being able to pay attention. That's ridiculous. Like, oh, come on. We can do that. We can, we can beat that. So what is going on? What is happening in our world that that is taking place? And if we're coming to the Christmas, we're in this Christmas season, heading into Christmas, and if we don't want that busyness to come and torpedo our Christmas, um, then we need to pay attention and we need to go hunting for this silent killer, for the submarine. This morning we're going to be uh, in Exodus chapter 18. We're going to be in Exodus 18. Uh, we're going to be in verse 13. Now, uh, if you were here a couple weeks ago, uh, I preached on Exodus 16, and so you have a little bit of context of what's going on. Uh, but right now, the Israelites are being led through the desert uh, by Moses uh, doing the great Egyptian detox. Uh, God saved and called them out of Egypt, and now God's getting Egypt out of his people. And that's what's going on here. And this is the chapter right before the Israelites receive this covenant. I wonder if it's not one last um, stop, if you would call it, one last hurdle they're getting over before they get this new covenant relationship with God, to pay attention to this busyness. So Exodus 18, uh, verse 13, uh, the next day Moses sat to judge the people, and the people stood around Moses from morning till evening. And when Moses' father-in-law saw all that he was doing for the people, he said, what is this that you are doing for the people? Why do you sit alone and all the people stand around you from morning till evening? Uh, Moses' father-in-law's name is Jethro, and he uh, has come uh, and has heard what God has done, saving the Israelites, saving all the different miracles that's God done. Uh, and they just finished uh, worshiping God. Uh, they built an altar and sacrifices to God. And so now Jethro's hanging out, and he's watching his son-in-law lead these people. And so he sees something. Jethro sees something. He's observing morning till evening. Moses is busy. And Jethro is a leader himself. And he sees, man, there's something not right. Because in that culture, they didn't have light bulbs. So when the sun went down, there was your productivity. And so the entire day, Moses' entire working hours is spent doing something. And Jethro goes, hmm, something seems off. So he asks him a question. He asks him, why do you do what you're doing? And it's a powerful question. It's a question I don't know if we like to sit in sometimes. Why do you do what you do? Why is our brains dropping down to only eight seconds before another thought comes in? It makes me feel like I don't got a chance to hold your attention. But I go, man, why do we do what we do? And that's, it's, it's a motive revealer. When we ask questions like this, it takes us 
out of the surface of the situations take place, and it forces us to go into the depths. It gets underneath the surface. And that's where Jethro was going with Moses. He's trying to look for that submarine. He's taking Moses and saying, let's go into the depths of what's taking place. And this is Moses' response. uh, Moses said to his father-in-law in verse 15, Uh, Because the people come to me to inquire of God, and when they have a dispute, they come to me, and I decide between one person and another, and I make them know the statutes of God and his laws. So on the surface, Moses is trying to be a good leader. He's just trying to take care of the people. You know, uh, if you read in the previous couple chapters, there's some grumblers in this crowd. There's some people that I don't know if we get along with very well. And so he is out here uh, being a peacemaker. He's trying to get them uh, at least being able to live and be a community. He's, he's doing the best he can with what he's got. Um, but when we start to peel back the layers and we look into the surface of what Moses said, we can find some things. Because how much is he talking about I and me? Quite a bit. All of a sudden, everything is pointing to Moses and what he does. And it's become a very self-centered moment, a very self-centered leader. How did that happen? It's interesting, some of the models Moses saw for his leadership. Uh, In Moses' life, he spent the first 40 years living living in Pharaoh's household. What kind of leader is a pharaoh? A king. This is about power and control. I don't know if you ever have, like closed your eyes and you thought about like the mental picture of pharaoh. Isn't he always have a stick? And he's always lording it over people. It's about control. It's about what the pharaoh says, what the king says. And I think that's what Moses saw. But I don't think Moses wants to be that kind of leader. Because the next 40 years of Moses' life... You know who he hung out with? Sheep. He hung out with Jethro. He actually ran away from Egypt uh, and hung out with Jethro, married his daughter, and became a shepherd. Totally different type of leader. And so I don't think Moses wants to be the controlling leader, the one that everything hinges on whatever he says. Yet, here he is. This is what I'm doing. People come to me. All of a sudden, without realizing, I wonder if God's trying to get a little bit of Egypt out of Moses that's still hanging on, that's still hanging on by a thread. And God wants to show Moses something about busyness and hurry and leadership. Why is he doing what he's doing? I don't know. He got caught up in something. Because it's really interesting, the next chapter is they receive this new covenant with God that God is going to make them uh, a holy nation, a nation of priests for all people groups and all nations. And this is going to be, he's going to make this covenant with these people. But this huge pivotal moment, before they receive it, this, this story takes place. And I wonder, before we receive this huge mission to task, God's not interested in, and what we can go do for him. I wonder if God's got something else in mind. And that something else is causing us to be 
busy, to be hurried, to be addicted to uh, the speed of a fast-paced life. Corey Ten Boom said this, if the devil can't make you sin, he'll make you busy. If you've hung around me enough, you'll probably hear me say that. If the devil can't get you to sin, if those sin he's put in front of you, those temptations, he can't get you to fall for it, he's going to try a different tactic. It's going to make you busy. Why? Why is that such a tool of the enemy? Well, it's because ultimately sin and busyness, they do the exact same thing. They isolate you from others, and it isolates you from God. It isolates you from others, it isolates you from God. And you can even be around other people. You can uh, be in the same household. You can have coworkers you see every day, and you can be isolated from them. And you don't have connection. Because if it takes time to build connection, it takes intentionality. It's going to almost cost you something to build uh, a connection with somebody. Uh, You have to be pretty intentional about it. It's just a, with a connection point. And um, if you don't put that intention forward, you don't really build connection. Think about it. If a spouse, if you're like, man, if my brain can only last eight seconds and, you know, trying to have a conversation with them, that means I'm going to give out of my day 30, you know, 30 minutes, tops, less. All of a sudden, we wonder why we have hard time in our relationships with each other. It starts to add up pretty quick. And it goes against our relationship with God because like our relationship with a spouse, uh, you takes intentional work to stay connected. You know, you got to have date night. You got to do those things. You got to make time for each other every day. Same thing goes for our relationship with God, that when we don't put that in place, that intentionality, we get caught up in busyness. We don't have time for our relationship with God. Because busyness is now running the show. We got stuff to do, and it's good stuff, but there's a difference in between good stuff and when it becomes busyness, and we'll get into that in a moment. But busyness, I wonder if that's taken over from Moses. And Moses from sun up to sundown has neglected one of his most important relationships. I don't know, but it kind of looks that way for a moment. And so this is Jethro's response. He's found the submarine, uh, the busyness that is uh, wreaking havoc on Moses. Uh, in verse 17, Moses' father-in-law said to him, what you are doing is not good. You and the people uh, what you're doing is not good. You and the people with you will certainly wear yourselves out, for the thing is too heavy for you. You are not able to do it alone. Now obey my voice, and I will give you advice, and God be with you. So instead of calling him an idiot or whatever you know, dum-dum he wants to call his son-in-law, uh, he doesn't do that. Jethro speaks 
love into Moses' life. He speaks kindness into his love, into his life. He speaks grace and he speaks truth. He gives him grace and he tells him, the thing you're doing is hurting you and hurting the people around you. It's the kindest thing he could tell someone. It's the kindest thing you can tell somebody when you see them hurting. I see what's going on in your life. What you're doing is hurting yourself. And sometimes we like to pat ourselves on the back uh, and say, man, but I'm helping other people, right? I am doing the thing I'm supposed to be doing, right? And um, we don't see the cost of what's really having. That if it's hurting ourselves that bad, ultimately it's hurting the people around us because now they don't really get us, they get a fraction of us. And the kindest thing Jethro could say to him is the path you're going down is not a good one. It's not, hurt, not just hurting you. It's really hurting the people around you. It gives them so much grace. But then he doesn't just give him grace and be like, man, the path you're going down, that doesn't look good. And it's hurting the people around you. So good luck with that. And just he speaks truth. He tells them that God is in this with you. I think that's the first thing we forget when we get wrapped up in business. It's the first thing that seems to go is our mindfulness and our posture that, oh yeah, God is in this with me. Whatever I am engaging in, whatever I'm leading, whatever I'm doing, whatever I have on my plate, that God is in this with me and that is where I need to start and that is where I need to anchor myself and that is where I need to be reminded of. So before Moses gets correction, he receives love. I think sometimes before we dive into uh, correcting other people around them, we maybe need to start with some love and speak grace and truth in each other's lives. Now we can have a right relationship where we can receive some correction. So this is the correction that Jethro offers. Uh, 19, he says, you shall represent the people before God and bring their cases to God. And you shall warn them about the statutes and the laws and make them known the way in which they must walk and they must do. Moreover, look for able men from all the men, men who fear God, who are trustworthy and hate a bribe. And place such men over the people as chiefs of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and of tens. And so Jethro's response, Jethro's correction to busyness, to doing this super fast pace, morning till evening, he's got all this stuff, it's good stuff, he's trying to be a good leader, but the correction to fast pace, busyness, is trust. You're going to have to trust some people, he says. He's going to have to trust some men. Now, be wise in the men you trust, you know, but he's going to have to trust men, but it really goes deeper than that. Because that it's not just about trusting men. Because who does Moses ultimately gonna have to trust if he does it? He's gonna have to trust God. Because now he's gonna have to trust God is with those men, and that God is in those converse, crucial conversations, and that ultimately it is God who is leading his people and not just Moses. And now he's going to have to trust God, that God is going to be who he says he is, and God is going to have to do what he said he's going to do. Hurriedness and busyness is a life that does not trust God. 
is when we peel back the layers, when we dive into this underneath the surface, uh, that is what we go find. That it's really built on, I got to do all this because if I don't do it, then it's going to fail. It's going to fall apart. It's going to hurt people. It's going to, it's going to, and uh, that is, we wouldn't necessarily think on the, on the outside because we're, oh yeah, I trust God. It's a pretty easy thing to say. But when we start digging into the, underneath the surface, a hurried, busy life is always one that is marked with not trusting God. And I wonder where some of that come from. What is that buried in? That if I stopped something, that if I changed my life a little bit, that if I slowed down, what would happen? What are some of the things that it's buried under? Do you, what voice comes up when it says, man, if you stop paying attention to that, then uh, it's going to cost you something. That uh, people are going to call you unreliable. They're going to reject you. Or if you lived a life that's not marked by hurry and busyness, you'll be uh, insignificant. You won't achieve much because you're not going to get anything done. Or if you slow down and were busy, weren't busy like you are, then uh, you will lose money, your family will end up in the streets, uh, whatever it is, there's just so many layers that starts getting piled on that busyness because it says, oh, this is a good thing. I need to do this. I need to do this. I need to do this. And it goes, and all of a sudden we have a, just a pile of things we hide under. And I don't know if it's the world we live in because we all said it's going fast. It's really interesting when we take and pause and look at the culture we live in. We live in a digital economy, uh, which means uh, the currency of a digital economy is human eyeballs. They sell it by the pallet and uh, not physical human eyeballs. It's, it's, it's your attention that they are selling. See, uh, this is God's platform, but if this was my platform and I can get you to pay attention to it, I can get people to give me money so they can put stuff on my platform. Uh, and then the more people I have, the more money I can get. And so what starts to happen is I need as many eyeballs on my platform on what, uh, what my thing is so people give me more money so I can get more eyeballs and it just cycle continues. And the easiest number way, uh, not hard at all thing to do to get eyeballs on a platform is to push and sell fear. That if you're not paying attention to this, you're going to miss out. If you're not looking and paying attention to this, then something bad might happen and you're going to be the one who will not know about it. And so uh, that starts to get fed into us. And now, uh, I'm not anti-technology. I don't think that's bad, but I go, man, I don't know if we're paying attention to some of the messages we receive. And I don't care if it's social media, news, whatever. Most of the economy is driven right now is by saying, you need to look at this. You need to pay attention to this. And if you don't, something bad is going to happen. And I wonder if that's not why we live in a world that just seems to increase its speed and its pace of life and its hurry and its busy. It's because we're not really paying attention to what it's doing to human beings, to people, to what's it doing to our souls. And so it causes us to pause. Why do we do what we do? You show me a life marked with busyness and hurry. You're showing me a life marked that doesn't trust God a whole lot. And that's something tough to wrestle with. So uh, 
if greed is the silent killer of stuff, uh, stuff that stole Christmas, it's greed that steals it, then it's going to be fear is the silent killer, really, in that busyness that comes to kill it. But what happens, though, if we trust God? What happens, though, if something changes? This is what uh, 23 says. Jethro says, he goes, if you do this, God will direct you. You will be able to endure, and all this people also will go on to their place in peace. It is trust that leads to peace. I think often that we ask for peace all the time. We pray for peace, and it's a good thing we should pray for peace. But sometimes we want peace before we move. And sometimes God is saying, trust me, and as you trust me, you'll receive peace. Because it's not any trust. Uh, peace doesn't come in my action. The peace comes trusting God that he really is who he says he is, and he's really going to do what he says he's going to do. So that way, no matter what's happening around me in the world, no matter how chaotic, how loud, how fast, whatever pressure is taking place, I can be okay because I know who God is, and he says I'm okay, and he says I am loved, he says I am fully accepted, secure, and significant. And when I learn to trust that, I can be okay, and it speaks into my fear. So then, busyness isn't really then about a time issue. It's not really about lack of 24 hours in a day, because if I am a Pretend with me for a second. If I was a magical genie and I could give you 27 hours in a day, do you, would that really slow you down? Or would we just fill it with another Netflix show? I would have a couple more hours. I could work more hours at my job. I could put it into whatever else is already filling my life and making it busy. We, why would we think we would use those hours differently? So it's not really a time issue, 24 hours in a day. But I don't really know if it's also a burden issue or what's on your plate issue. Because just because Moses um, trusted God and he reframed and shifted how he led, did the mantle of leadership disappear? He still had to carry that. He was still the leader of the Israelites. That didn't go away. So I don't think it's a matter of what you're caring and what God's called you to, uh, you need to somehow figure out how to get it off your plate. Because if God's called you uh, to be a parent, it's not like, sorry, kids, you're going to have to feed and clothe yourself. I got to spend time with God and that I'm just going to drop that. If God's called you into your place of work, you're not just going to be like, sorry, boss, can't come in tomorrow. I need to slow down and spend time with God. And I, that, I don't see... God inviting us to do nothing, I don't think slowing down is a nothingness. I think it's a shift. It's reframing. Pastor John Orberg said this about hurry. Hurry is not just a disordered schedule. Hurry is a disordered heart. It's not just about the things that fill your time, your day, your calendar. It's about what's really ultimately filling your Heart. It's about hearts that are not ordered around trusting God. 
So why do we do what we do? I wonder if it's not because our hearts are ordered around the wrong things. And we need to start paying attention to the things our hearts are ordered around. Because if we have busyness and hurry pulling us into something, it has nothing to do with out here. It has everything to do with what's happening in here. And we need a new vision, a fresh vision of what an unhurried and unbusy heart looks like that's ordered around who God is, trusting him that he is who he says he is, and he's going to do what he says he's going to do. Because it starts to feel a little overwhelming all of a sudden when we start to dig into the depths of this and wrestle this out. And we need a new vision of what that looks like. I think one of my favorite visions of what a heart ordered around a non-hurried, a non-busy, trusting in God person looks like, it looks like Susanna Wesley. How many of you guys have heard of Susanna Wesley? All right, I got like six of you. Yes, all right. How many of you guys have heard of John and Charles Wesley? Okay, a couple more hands. Okay, this is good. So John and Charles Wesley were some of the leaders uh, of a very famous movement in church history. It's called the Great Awakening, uh, where, the, man, the Holy Spirit came down. So many people came to Christ. It's one of the most powerful movements in church history. And John and Charles were some of the key leaders uh, in this movement. And the key leader in their lives was their mom, Susanna Wesley. Susanna Wesley was the youngest of 25 or 24, I'm blanking on that. It's one of those two. So she kind of grew up in a little bit of chaos. Uh, She had married, and they had 19 babies. Only 10 survived because 1,700 medicine uh, wasn't that great. Uh, She was married to a pastor, and uh, he made so little on his salary that he had to take a second job as a chaplain on a ship. And so sometimes he'd be gone uh, for months on end uh, in his chaplaincy. And so can you imagine... Uh, the struggle of everyday life in 1700, uh, where money is tight, you got mouths to feed, and uh, just the chaos of the world you live in and the trauma you've been through. And so Susanna, though, was a heart that was not hurried, was not busy, and was centered on who God is, even though she had all that pressure on her to manage a household, to keep people fed. All, the, all, all that stuff. And so she was famous for having a kitchen apron, and she would put it over her head. And she would tell her kids they were never allowed to disturb her when the, the apron was on her head. Because that was her time of talking with God. She was so unhurried. Man, she read, led prayer meetings in her kitchen uh, that started outnumbering her husband's church. And it gets, it gets wild when you study her story. But sh- that posture of being unhurried, unbusy, had such a profound effort on her boy's life that they would go on to lead one of the great movements, awakenings in church history. I wonder in a time like this, if God's not interested in what we can go do for him, but I wonder if God's interested in some people who are willing to put an apron over their head. And let him be the one to use and redeem that time. Because I think we have our priorities all mixed up. Because what would happen if we did that today? 
it would change everything. It'd be, uh, it'd be incredible, but it feels overwhelming though a little bit because how in the world are we supposed to stand against the giant cultural machine that is shaping us and forming us into people with attention span less than a goldfish? We, gotta need, we need some hope. And so uh, this is what uh, Ephesians 5.15 says. It says, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best of the time, because the days are evil. Carl Jung, the famous psychiatrist, uh, in studying what hurry does to human beings, said that hurry is not of the devil, hurry is the devil. And so if you give me a little bit of creative freedom here, maybe we need to read that, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are hurried, they're busy, they're full of the wrong things. So what does it really mean then to walk carefully? What does it look like to be wise? Who are we looking to to teach us and show us how to do that? Because that submarine of busyness is buried. It's hidden. It doesn't want you to know it's there. That's why Satan loves using this tool is because we're so not looking for it. We're looking for that big sin. I'm not going to give in to, and we're so caught up in other stuff that he, he like sneaks it in. That's quiet. And so if we're not careful, if we're not wise, it's going to catch us and it's going uh, to steal and rob us from Christmas. So, who, so how do you walk carefully? How do we be wise in this? And I think it's really the gospel of just coming to Jesus. I know that sounds like a Sunday school answer, but this is what Matthew uh, eleven twenty eight says. He says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So Jesus came, born, which is what Christmas is all about. But he lived a perfect life, died on the cross, paid our penalty for sin, rose again so we can have right relationship with him. And he's not just a get-out-of-jail-free card, but he wants to invite us to take upon his yoke and learn from him. The gospel message is not only are you saved from sin, but now you are saved from, really starts to save you from its effects of sin on your life. That God will start to shape you, inform you, not from what the world says or what sin says or what the enemy says, but into what he says. I wonder if we're going to be a church marked by hearts that are unhurried, I'm busy, we're going to be need a church that is marked from learning from Jesus. Because I don't think, at least I don't think I can, I, don't, I know for a fact, I don't got a chance of being a person who's marked by an unhurried, unbusy heart and unbusy life if I'm doing it in my own power. It's just not going to work out very well for me. 
And I wonder what that begins to look like. And so that is where uh, Jesus is meeting me most in my life, learning how to learn from Jesus. And uh, if you study church history, often they're called spiritual disciplines, uh, they're practices of the way, whatever language you want to use, they are ways to invite us into something different. Uh, Pastor Joel challenged us last week that you want to combat greed, uh, be generous, practice generosity. And I go, man, if you want to combat fear and uh, uh, you want to combat a hurried and busy heart, then practice presence, slowing down. Practice placing yourself. We're going to have to trust God to make up for the differences in uh, your life. So one of the ways that I am trying to practice this, I'm not here to tell you how great and awesome I am. I'm just trying to show you what I'm wrestling with is uh, Friday is my Sabbath day. Sunday is a work day for pastors. And so Friday is my Sabbath day. And Thursday night, my phone uh, will go off. And then usually sometime Saturday morning, it'll come on. I want to spend more than a little bit of 48, uh, 24 hours. Maybe I should go 48 hours, but more than 24 hours away from my phone because uh, I don't want my phone to tell me how to live my life. Now, I'm probably still addicted to my phone, if I'm honest, but at least starting with 24 hours is a starting place to say, man, this thing does not own me. I do not let this thing dictate my life. And so I will turn it off. I'll even go to the store without my phone, you know, uh, the risk of something happening, and I'm going to be like, you know what? I'm going to figure it out, the boldness. I know what would happen if it went off. I'm going to say, I don't want to be a person with a hurried and busy heart. Jesus, I want to learn what it looks like to order and put my trust in you. But I don't know what that looks like in your life. I don't know where you're walking. I would have to sit with you and like Jethro asking Moses, why do you do what you do? I don't have to ask you, why do you do what you do? And we have to dive into it. It would be so much fun. Uh, but uh, that's the invitation that Jesus has, is if we're going to be people who say, not only is my Savior, he's my king, that we're going to be people who are marked by living like it. And that means we may look a little bit different. We may be people who turn our phones off for 24 hours. I don't know. Whatever Jesus might invite you to, you're going to look different. Because part of me actually is pretty excited that the world is moving faster and faster and faster. Because that means we have an opportunity to be people who are marked by people of peace, who are unhurried, that there's something so radically different about us. And people would have to wonder, hmm, what's going on? But I don't know what that invitation is to you. What is that kitchen umbrella, uh, kitchen umbrella, kitchen apron that you need to put over your head? What is that invitation Jesus is saying? Come, learn from me, be with me. That if we're going to be a church that is marked by unhurried, hearts ordered around who God is, who he says he is, and he's going to do what he says he's going to do, then we're going to have places where we're going to have to practice that out. And what's scary about that is it's facing really your fear. It's facing those lies, which means we should probably do it in community, where we have people who can speak love and help us in this uh, hunt for these submarines. It does not happen by accident. It takes intentionality. Any questions?
I just covered a lot of ground, I know. But I think this is too big of an issue for us to just skim right over. I think in studying this, I think Pastor Joel, you and I could preach on this for like a year straight. There's that much out there about needing to be people who are unhurried. Yeah, so uh, question is, okay, so how do you uh, not take stuff, everything off your plate and say, I'm just going to do nothing, but how do I rearrange it? It's what, uh, this is, you're not going to like my answer, but that's what takes asking Jesus, what are my priorities and what do I need to do? And he'll begin to show you. Because uh, uh, often it's things we can't see. I don't think Moses fell into that business on his own. Um, I think that's happened a little bit over time and that sometimes we need wise voices to come in and say, man, what do we got here? And start sifting through that kind of stuff. Um, and so I think that's where it's going to take is to actually sit in that question. Why are you doing what you're doing? And ask some compassionate curiosity questions and have people who can speak in to that. Uh, cause I think it's really hard to do it on your own. I would love to say, man, you can go do this by yourself. This, uh, I, I, I really don't think you can. And I have uh, men in my life who I look to who speak into this, who challenge me every month on how I'm doing with my presence with Jesus. And uh, they ask me hard questions that I don't sometimes like being asked because I know, oh, he's, they're going to get me on this one. Uh, but I, I, I humbly submit to that because I don't want to be uh, caught up in anything else. I just want what Jesus is inviting me to do. And so it's going to take building those relationships. Now, um, it may take one, two, maybe a home group or, you know, that uh, you have in your life, but that's, that's really where that begins to take you down. Any other, just last, I, I don't want to, I want to practice what I preach, so I don't want to leave this moment. Yeah, yeah. so I, I agree with you, and I, but I also, I've wrestled with this, because I've gone that direction, because why don't we just, you know, you can go to the extreme, which I don't think you're saying, of we're all going to become Amish, and we're going to cut off in the world. Uh, there's that balance, and so one of the questions that I've found the Holy Spirit convict me of is, am I interruptible? That if he says, hey, I want you to go talk to that person, I know you planned on doing this this afternoon, but I need you to go over here. Am I available for God to disrupt me? And, and so that's, that's why I, 
That's why I think this takes practice, and that's why I think it's done in communion. I think you're, you're right. It is, well, what do I need to say no? And when is the Holy Spirit telling me, mm, no, I need to disconnect? And when is he saying, actually, no, I need you to disrupt your entire day because I have something for you to go do over here? Yeah, good. Yes. Yeah, because busyness frames our entire world around us and what we are doing and me and my needs and my, and uh, Jesus is asking us to change that. Amen. Good word. Yeah. Uh, accountability. Uh, internal advice? No. It's accountability. And some of us is asking, Jesus, what does it look like to take on your yoke? What does it really look like to learn from you and invite him into that process? And not, I'm going to fix and change myself. But really, it's got to start with, I can't, and I need you, Lord. I need you to come and teach me and show me what this really looks like. And I need you to do that through your word. I need you to do that in prayer. I need you to do that with the people around me who uh, I'm trusting. That's what it looks like. So um, we're going to wrap up. And would you guys just please stand and just join me in prayer. Lord, we come and we confess our need for you. That hurriedness and busyness comes to leak into our hearts and to our lives, Lord. And so... Uh, we pray against that and we repent of that. And we ask that you would come and you would fill it, that you would be the one to show us how to walk in your ways, to show us uh, how you would have us uh, use the time that you have given us. Lord, I pray that you would show us what an unhurried heart looks like, 
Lord, would you order our hearts around trusting you, Lord? Lord, I pray that like the Susanna Wesley, Lord, we would make sure that we put you first, Lord. And I pray that you'd be the one to show us what that looks like. Lord, because we want to pray for revival. We want to pray that you would break through and heal our lives, heal our families, heal our communities, Lord. And so before you do that, Lord, would you teach us what it means to pray and be present with you? And would you teach us to have hearts that are unhurried, that are uh, waiting on you, not waiting in nothingness, but waiting with all intentionalities that you're going to fulfill your promises, that you're going to be who you said you are, and you're going to do what you said you're going to do, and that we can trust you, and that we can trust in that. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. May the Lord bless you this week. May he fill you with uh, his peace and his joy, and may you be uh, a light into the world. Have a great week, church.